0: Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly, I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I am joined by David A. Fields. David is the co-founder of Ascendant Consulting, is a true consultant's consultant who works with solo and boutique consulting firms worldwide. A best-selling author, speaker, consultant and mentor, David also heads the Ascendant Consortium whose clients are a who's who of the business world. David, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Jonathan, it is fabulous to be here.
0: It's really my pleasure. So for folks who maybe haven't come across you before, could you just give people a crash course in who you are and what you do?
1: Sure. And imagine that. There are people who are not aware of me. <laughs> it happens every day. Uh, 95% of my business right now, Jonathan, is actually working with other consulting firms. So whether they are uh, solo practitioners or small boutiques up to, call it $25 million, I, I work with a few folks that are larger but mostly 25 million and under, down to folks that you know, maybe have just started a practice and are, are just uh, sort of cracking six figures. And so while I have corporate clients, most of my work now is with the consulting firms that are trying to win those corporate clients. And, and that's what I spend my days doing is, is helping them accomplish that goal.
0: Excellent. So I've got your new book. It's called The Irresistible Consultant's Guide to Winning Clients. Thank you very much for that. And in it, it's broken into six sections, uh, six steps to unlimited clients and financial freedom. And there's a a section that I'm particularly interested in. So I think it would be a great place to start. And that is this section on, uh, I think it's maximizing your impact. Am I sure? Okay, cool. So can you sort of give it, there's a, a bunch of sort of subsections here. Could you give us a kind of overview and then we'll drill into individual questions?
1: Um, sure. The the one thing I would uh, let me preface this with, because it is um, this section, which on maximizing impact, which is, is, is sort of step two. It's important to understand that this comes before you start building visibility. A lot of consultants, a lot of freelancers want to get out there and just get known by everyone they can. And before you run out and try to spread the word about yourself, you need to make sure that the word will be listened to that you're not just out there talking. You're saying words that people want to hear and that's impact. That's maximizing your impact. So that that's where this fits in. It's very early in the process. making sure your message is going to resonate. And basically the maximizing impact just comes down to a, a few pieces. You need to talk with the right people about the right problem, offer the right solution in a way that's compellingly articulated at the right time. So right people, right problem, right solution, right time. Of those four, time is darn hard to figure out. And so I tend to say, you know what, put that one aside. Because if you talk to enough of the right people about the right problem and offer the right solution, then you don't need to worry about the timing. Some of them will be ready to move and want your services. So that that's it. That's really what the, the core of maximizing impact.
0: Excellent. So... You have a, a great graph, sort of got six quadrants in it, where you right. talk about the awareness of sort of the client's awareness or the prospect's awareness of a problem, sure, or opportunity, and their urgency around that. And this is this is a different way to describe. Something that I talk about here a lot. So I wonder if it's it is kind of visual, but I wonder if you can break it down. I
1: can can describe it. As a matter of fact, all your listeners can can uh, sort of build it for themselves very quickly and easily if they want. And this is useful. So it's interesting you pulled this out. This is the one piece I didn't mention inside uh, maximizing impact, which is this idea that I call fishing where the fish are, and that business is so much easier if you're fishing where the fish are. So here's how you figure out where the fish are. I would say, uh, you, you know, regular consultants, they do two by two charts, but, but we're super sexy here. So we do a sextrant chart. <laughs> so you're going to you're going to draw a horizontal line and then instead of bisecting it with one line, you're going to tr- uh, trisect it with two, two, two vertical lines. So now what you have is sort of six boxes, three on the top, three on the bottom. So that vertical axis is really is the client aware of the problem that you solve? So at the top, you might say yes. All those three boxes at the top are yes. And the three boxes at the bottom are no. They're not aware of the problem that that they have the problem. They may have the problem, but they're not aware that they have the problem. So yes or no. And then across the top is the urgency that they have. How urgent is their desire to solve the problem that you can solve for them? So all the way on the left might be no urgency. They have no urgency at all to solve it. In the middle is some or maybe tomorrow or maybe in the future. And then all the way to the right is now. They want to solve that problem right away. So now what you have, if you've drawn this out, is you've got a box in the top right where your prospects are aware of the problem that that they have and that you solve. And that they urgently want to solve that problem. That spot, that box is what I call fishing where the fish are. And when you play in that box, this business is actually very easy. Winning business is easy. Because you're not trying to convince someone to, to, to work with you. You're not trying to, to tell them to work on the problem. You're not trying to say, hey, you really need me, even though you don't realize it. Both of which are quite difficult. You're working with people who know they've got the problem. And they're saying, yeah, I need help. And boy, isn't it easy to sell a, a consulting gig when someone's saying, hey, I got a problem and I need help. So were you able to sketch that out? Did that work for you, Jonathan?
0: Yes, that does, mentally. That's a, a perfect picture. So what, can you describe for a second what it might feel like to someone who is not fishing where the fish are? So let's say someone has a, a let's say someone is aware of a problem that's just epidemic proportion. So for me, just to, to instantiate it a little bit, for me, I was doing consulting in the mobile web space for a long time. And you could just go, almost any site you went to on an iPhone was just garbage for the first couple of years. So I could see this as a problem, like there's no way this is good for their conversions. This has to be hurting their traffic. This has to be hurting their, you know, causing a really bad bounce rate on mobile, so on and so forth. But it was surprising to me at the time, you know, this is going back to like 2010, that so many people clients prospective clients with these terrible experiences didn't really see it as a problem or they yep. weren't weren't aware that it was a problem because they unlike their uh, audience or their customers or their users they weren't on their own website on their phone all the time trying to get things done so it just wasn't it just didn't raise the level of consciousness so I could run around beating the drum all day long saying it you know if your boat if your business isn't mobile friendly you're going out of business you know think, sort of chicken little approach
1: yeah how'd that work for you
0: not that great <laughs> <laughs> early on I magically got clients because there were early adopters who saw the problem and in my estimation of the situation is that over time all of the early adopters and then the, uh, the sort of cutting edge people and then the late adopters solved you know they, they got someone to fix it for them and we started to get down to the late adopters and then laggards and it became a really hard sell because they just didn't see it as a problem and still don't so yeah. it, it's really hard and and there's a line in the book that made me laugh out loud because i've i've heard it so many times where somebody um you know a student of mine or someone on my mailing list will be inside of a client organization and they'll maybe have done one project and while they were in there they were just appalled by the inefficiency of a laundry list of other things that they could easily automate uh, or or at least uh, you know not that it wouldn't be a lot of work but they knew exactly how to automate it. Like, Hey, I could automate this whole system and you wouldn't need this entire department and, and still find themselves extremely frustrated, you know, sort of, uh, it, it is kind of this chicken little thing where there's where you're almost saying like, it's kind of like walking up to someone in a Starbucks and saying, you know, like a personal trainer, walking up to someone in Starbucks and being like, Hey, you're super fat. Do you want me to help you with that? You know, <laughs> it's like, it's the wrong timing. It's not, it's not, it, it's just terrible. Obviously, it, it's terrible.
1: It is so. But now I've got to ask, what was the line that made you laugh, if you remember it? It
0: was. It was uh, not verbatim, but it was basically like, um, you know, all these clients have the same problem, but no one, no one sees it. But really, to right. me, to me, that's that's not what's actually happening. To me, it's that they may maybe they see it, maybe they don't, but they just don't. Like they might be aware of the situation that you're pointing out, but to them, it's not a problem.
1: Right. So that brings them that. So that would shift them from the bottom right which is they're not aware of the problem, but if they were aware of it, boy, they'd want to solve it, right? The hidden cancer, if you will, right? Exactly, Or the, yes. the, the hidden uh, pot of gold. Mm-hmm. To, even if they're aware of it, they don't have an urgent desire to solve the problem. And that's, you know, that's different. Now you're in that middle box at the top. And the, those, those folks, are you have to deal with them differently. Because there's a, there's a lack of urgency. It's not a lack of awareness, it's a lack of urgency. So you're, you're creating. Des- you need to create desire, and frankly, that's hard to do. And so, if you have been working in an environment where you're chasing folks, right? You're trying to create this desire. You go, well, look, there's a huge problem, and look at all you um you you people at Starbucks who I could help because I'm a personal trainer, and you're not as fit as you could be. <laughs> I could help you. Right. And you're trying to create demand and you're submitting proposals and nobody is signing. You might not even hear from anyone. Yep. Right. That problem. If you have a lot of proposals that are languishing, mm-hmm. if you don't hear back from prospects, it's because you're operating where there's a lack of urgency. And yes. it's extremely frustrating. And the answer, it, it, the answer actually isn't later in the process. It's not that you're doing something wrong in the selling process. It's you're doing something wrong in the, in the prospect selection process.
0: Right, right. So if we're, to use your metaphor and to use myself as an example, because I know examples help people. When I, you know, you talk in the book about, you know, you, you can move your boat. You know, you can sort of paddle around in your boat and find where the fish are. Yes. Or... You can just randomly moor yourself somewhere and, th- and assume that just by throwing the line in the water, you're going to be pulling fish in. And you're like, I can't believe this, this industry's dead. There's no fish coming out of the water. This pond is dead. Well, maybe you're just in the wrong spot in the pond. And with me, it was a similar sort of, similar sort of feeling where it wasn't that I was in, uh, to use the fishing metaphor, when it first started, the whole industry was basically invented by the iPhone in 2007, 2008. So there was no pond and I was the first boat in it or one of the very first boats in it. So we were pulling, fish were jumping into the boat because the pond was incredibly small. So there was some competition, but not, not, uh, not enough to support the demand, but then the pond got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you didn't move your boat, you're still sitting in that same spot and the fish went somewhere
1: else. Right. Right. So, if we want to totally butcher the metaphor, <laughs> then we say e- even where you are, if you're somewhere in your pond or whatever, and you're not catching any fish, you could move your your boat, right? So that's one way at it. There's another way at it, which is to basically talk to the fish, um, <laughs> become the Doctor Doolittle of fish or whatever it is, and
0: incredible Mister Lipid,
1: <laughs> and and right, or SpongeBob or something like that, and find out what it is because because you're not solving the right problem for them you don't have the right bait in some ways so mm-hmm. so you don't always have to move your boat though in all likelihood you're you are going to have to make some changes the one thing you know is if you're not winning as many clients as you'd like to you have to make some changes and and you have to make your practice not about you you have to make it about the clients you have to make it about the fish mm-hmm. so that you're you're going after fish and with what they're looking for
0: yeah what's the what's the line? Don't fish for, you know, don't don't fish using strawberries and cream as bait. Use worms as bait, you know, because just because you like strawberries and cream. So so I've not
1: heard that, but it, but it's an interesting image. Oh, it's a <laughs>
0: I, I t- completely destroyed it. It's a great quote that I destroyed and it's a classic. I think it's uh, oh, geez, it's a classic. I think it's um uh, how to make friends and influence. Oh, the people. Dale Carnegie. Yeah, I, I think it's a Carnegie quote.
1: Yeah. Oh well that's great.
0: Yeah. Anyway, I'll link to it in the show notes to you know with Google under my fingertips to actually get it right. So there's something I want to point out here that we're that we're not making explicit. I mean we're okay. saying it, but we haven't made it explicit. We're not talking about solutions. We're talking about problems, the problems right. that the clients have that you solve. And you just talked about, you know, it's about the fish, it's not about the fishermen. So let's talk a little bit about you know, this all sounds logical and, and straightforward, but how do you talk to the fish? How do you find those problems? How do you find that, find your way to that top right square?
1: Wow, what a great question. Not enough people <laughs> ask that question. The The answer to that is it's actually extremely simple. Um, not easy, like most of the stuff. It's not easy, but it's simple. And the, uh, the answer is you ask. You, you just, you flat out ask. So I'm heading up to to Toronto tomorrow as we record this and because I have an all day session with a consulting firm up there on Thursday. So what do I do tomorrow before I before I get there? Well, what I do is I reach out to other boutique firms, the leaders of boutique firms, some of whom I know, some of whom I don't know, and basically say, look, could um, could I meet you not for any kind of sales call, just to learn from you, just to hear what's going on in your world. Now, This isn't easy, especially if you're introverted, and I'm actually introverted, but it's critical because every time I have a conversation with someone who looks like my prospective clients, I learn something. I learn about what's going on, what their problems are, what their problems aren't, which is just as important because I don't want to waste my time talking about things that they don't need to solve. So the way you learn about this, the way you figure this out is actually by talking to people and asking them. And you might ask them What problems have you had in the past year, two years, that were so pressing, so urgent, so expensive to leave unsolved that you actually hired someone to help you solve them? That's the right question. The wrong question is, hey, here's my fishing line or here's what I want to do. This is what I'm thinking about building my consulting practice on. What do you think? (laughs) Or would you maybe buy this? Those are the wrong questions. Mm-hmm. Anything hypothetical like that will give you uh, bad data. It will just give you very bad information. You need to find out what they are actually experiencing right now or what they've paid for in the past. That's what's going to tell you what the, the problems are in the marketplace.
0: Absolutely. And you, you already said it, but I'm going to say it again. The answers to these questions might not be solvable with your current solutions or your current activities. But they could be well within your skill set, your broader skill set. Or they could be some skill that you could easily acquire. Sure. so you
1: can, you can learn things. As a matter of fact, the firm I'm working with tomorrow is a great example of it. Now, they're a, they're a, a small boutique. They're, they're under $10 million. And the two owners, I, I, I want to be careful just because some people know who I, I work with. But they're working in an industry. And they're now extremely well-regarded in the industry, yet neither one of them has a background in that industry. Mm -hmm. They have a background in a completely different world. Uh, And that's true of a number of my my clients, quite a few of them that are very successful. They didn't define themselves by what they had done in the past. They define themselves by what their clients want. And uh, as long as you're willing to do that and you're smart, which I'm sure your listeners are smart, and you're willing to pick up something new, Sky's the limit. It's easy. I mean, that's one of the great things about, about consulting. There's no iron in the ground that you're paying for. There's no capital equipment you've invested in a massive assembly line. You can pick up just about anything. <laughs> so find it and pick it up.
0: Exactly. So the 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 question. So a lot of people might have heard you say uh, the question. What have you hired someone from the outside to come in and help you with in the past year or two? You did not say. What copywriters have you hired in the past year? What software developers have you hired in the past year? What kind of software did you have outside people build? You didn't say that at all. Right. So it's much broader than that. And, this is a, and I tell people to do this exact same thing, optimize for conversations. If you aren't getting a number, enough leads, you're not talking to enough people. So go out and have this exact conversation. You know, If you could wave a magic wand, you know, this is sort of aspirational. If you could wave a magic wand... Even if it was impossible, what would you change about your business or your industry, or what um, what keeps you up night? Nice? I mean, the, the classic one is what's keeping you up nights. Nice. What's been on your to do list forever that you haven't been? And yours is even more more practical. Yours is actually a question that I use when I'm doing uh, thinking about uh, helping people choose which like software features to develop. You say don't don't ask people what features they wish something had, because they're not software developers. They're probably probably not optimized to think of the answers to those questions, but ask them where they're having a hard time with existing software solutions. So if you've got like some competitor, go talk to their clients and say, hey, last time you had to do X, like last time you had to do a mail merge, or last time you had to do a, I don't know, some sort of marketing automation. What what are your pet peeves about that? What blew up in your face? What was the biggest problem you had? you know because they can tell you it, and they're right, like it's their history that they're telling to you. It's not this, oh well, maybe I would um, you know, maybe I would like that feature. It's like, right. well, no, find the pain or the opportunity, but you know usually just right. like pain uh, and go back and say, huh, I wonder if there's something I can do about that. And to reiterate, this could very well mean, shock of shocks, you might have to change what you do, you know, a little bit or a lot. I don't know. But it's really, you know, if your goal is to go out and go where the fish are, as you put it, you need to be open to solving the problems the fish have and not just having this hammer and go around looking for nails.
1: Absolutely right. And and it's a great mix of metaphors. It, it, there's <laughs> get, there's uh, just all I'm, sorts of awful images I'm there. I'm a pro, yeah. <laughs> so, so I love that. The you're absolutely right. Jonathan, you and I and and all the listeners are that everybody who's listening to, to your podcast are future focused. We're all entrepreneurs. We're all looking with optimism toward tomorrow and next month and next year and five years from now. But our clients are not entrepreneurs for the most part. Our clients are not as future focused and asking them about the hypothetical, asking them about tomorrow and what do they need is uh, not only is it not a good use of time, it will steer you in the wrong direction. You will you will literally get bad answers that will cost you time and money. Our clients, we need to focus them in the past. And it can be difficult for us because we're future focused. And it's a critical step, it's an absolutely critical step. Keep those conversations past focused and focused on symptoms, like you said, problems or sometimes symptoms. Uh, is is a good way to think about it. What is that pain that they're experiencing?
0: Yeah, that's a good segue into into. Um, I, I read something. I'm not sure if I misinterpreted it, and okay. it's it's a phony question. But there's a a. Um, well, before I jump into that, I, I, can you give people a background on what you mean when you say fishing line?
1: Sure. Well, fishing line is a very short encapsulation of your target and the problem you solve. I work with small consulting firms that are not achieving the revenue they think they could okay so if someone hears that they're either work with a consulting firm or they run a consulting firm or they don't if they don't they say that's not me and that's perfect they either have the problem that i help solve or they don't if they don't that's fine also because now i don't waste my time with them what it does is your fishing line very quickly selects people allows them to self-select to ask more they say oh, huh, that's interesting. I run a consulting firm. Tell me a little bit more. And that's all you're looking for. It's a conversation starter. You throw that line out and you see if someone nibbles and tries to get into conversation with you. From there on, you're you're good. You, you move into relationship building and nurturing and conversation. But that's all a fishing line is, a very succinct encapsulation of your target, which is extremely narrow, and the problem you solve, which is very precise, and it's meant to start conversations that's it does that make sense it
0: not only does it make sense but it's like brother from another mother because listeners have heard me beating this drum endlessly i have a different name for it that doesn't matter it's the same concept and notice dear listener what it's what's not in it what's not in it is how you solve that problem there's no how in there there's no explanation because you want them to ask how it's exactly what you said it's a conversation starter so very focused target market or audience or demographic or psychographic is very clear i help people who believe this or i help people who have this job title or i help people who work in this industry with this problem they have which is different than saying oh i build software for businesses it's very even
1: i support a certain software platform Yeah. And that's um, if it's a narrow platform and I work with another number of firms that do that, they're they're working with clients that use a certain platform and then they'll code within that. So in order to make it fit Mm -hmm. a particular client, but it has to be beyond just the platform. It's what's the challenge with the platform. And ideally, it's industry focused and a certain platform because the number one thing clients look for is industry experience. Yeah, that's
0: good. I I have a lot of people who do platform specializations, too, things like Salesforce or FileMaker, Shopify, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, But I do like that. I do agree with you that it would be more powerful instead of saying, oh, I'm a Shopify plus expert to say I help people who use Shopify or I help store owners who use Shopify with this particular problem that is common to the platform. Or maybe not, you know, maybe it's not widespread. Maybe it's very specific but expensive problem for a small, small segment of Shopify users.
1: Right. And actually, if you say I'm a Shopify expert, you're going to you, you start devaluing yourself versus oh, I, I don't I, I'm not smart enough to know what a, a Shopify problem is. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, if I could say, um, you know, I solved the problem with Shopify, you know, duplicate, uh, you know, or uh, basket abandonment. Yep. OK. That adds value. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you're able to charge a higher uh, fee because you're you're adding value. And so focusing on the problem, and especially a high value problem, is how you create the opportunity to win a high margin, high fee project. Whereas if all you do is you say you're an expert, you're setting yourself up like a commodity and someone who will unfortunately be end up in a fee structure that's commoditized.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. Uh, that's funny. the The notion of saying, "Oh, if you if you call yourself a Shopify expert, now you're in competition with, or, yeah, I guess competition with every other Shopify expert." And I wouldn't actually recommend someone call themselves a Shopify expert, but uh, a Shopify consultant or advisor, I could see that on a business card. But I do like, I do, I I, I do believe that you're right. I agree with that. That it would be even more powerful as a conversation starter. And, uh, I don't know if you, I, I don't know if you like the word differentiator, but to certainly to, uh, certainly you're differentiating yourself when you are decommoditizing yourself. Uh, I see that synonymously, but tell me if you disagree.
1: Well, um, I don't see them quite, quite the same, but, th- but that's okay. In part because one of the lines you you may uh, not have seen in the book is that uh, I don't think consultants should differentiate. I don't think they should worry about differentiation.
0: Well, that's why I'm that's why I'm stammering because I did read that, <laughs> <laughs> but, and I, uh, I kind of argue with your. I I feel like it's a distinction without a difference because in the book you say something along the lines of, you know, it, the client says, "Why shouldn't we go with Cheapo Inc." And you say, well, because I'm more reliable. And that's right. That's a differentiator, though.
1: It, it is. Ultimately, you do differentiate. What you differentiate on is reliability and credibility. Can you credibly solve the problem? And are you going to solve it without screwing up, without making your client look bad? That's very different from how most people perceive differentiation. Okay. And and most folks are trying who, who approach their website, for instance, or they approach their conversation with clients, and they're thinking, how do I make myself different? How do I make myself look different from everyone else? And that's the wrong question. So you're, you're absolutely right. In the end, there is a difference because our clients are choosing us for a reason, not just because they flipped a coin or threw a dart and hit our name. Hmm. And so there is a difference. It's just that difference is not what people typically associate with differentiation, which in marketing often means finding these these subtle or unique points of difference. That's not what we're after.
0: Like product or solution focused differences.
1: Yeah. Like like different
0: features kind of.
1: Right. And that's just not what we're after. It's not about your whiz bang, super unique process. Yes. As a matter of fact, Your whiz bang, super unique process is more likely to scare off a prospective client than it is to attract them because it doesn't look as reliable. If you're the only person in the world who's done this, if you say, I've got something so new and so innovative, they're actually less likely to use you because most clients aren't looking for innovation. They're simply looking for a solution to their problem. They want their pain to go away. No fuss, no muss, no issues, (laughs) cause no harm.
0: Yeah, and they've been burned so many times by... Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. They want something reliable, something that they can trust. They want to risk mitigation. They want to feel like it's not risky.
1: Absolutely right. Hiring any kind of freelancer or consultant, uh, whether it's a programmer, a coder, someone helping with marketing strategy, you name it, it is fraught with anxiety for the purchaser. Sure. Because they've all been burned before. Because there's, there's very little that's concrete. We're selling what's inside our heads. We're selling what's between our ears. That's kind of difficult for them to, to get their hands around. And there's a big uh, purchase. They have to be able to justify to other people why it's not being done internally or why they're not doing it themselves and why they're spending so much money. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, of headwind mm-hmm. that you need to calm down. And the, the whole idea of reliability and credibility is, is sort of lessening or dampening those wins to make it easy for a prospect to say, yeah, come on in, come on board.
0: Mm. Well, you, I completely agree. So you mentioned fees a little bit there, a little, little while back. Is there a big picture you can draw for me around pricing?
1: So first of all, fees are, are the trickiest part of consulting. So figuring out fee structures is without a doubt the uh, most complex, there's as much art to it as there is science. The, there's a, there are a couple aspects to this. The one is fee structures, right? So there are different fee structures and, and some will create more value and, and create more margin for you. The, um, but there are other pieces. To the extent you are working on a higher value problem, you can charge more, right? Because there's, there's more value to be, to be tapped. To, to the extent you are creating more value, you can charge more because there is more value to be tapped, right? which means if you can you can solve the problem faster, if you can solve it with less interference, with less risk of failure, any of these kinds of things, those all allow you to increase your fees to charge more. If you have more credibility, if you are if you have renown, if you have a reputation in the marketplace that allows you to charge more because it implies a certain level of reliability and credibility.
0: So you appear less risky.
1: Yeah, you appear less risky. Exactly right. And and contracts and, and, and pricing is is actually all about risk. It's all about risk allocation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I don't talk a ton about that, because that goes off into the, the really nerdy world of risk <laughs> allocation pretty quickly. Uh, but the, ultimately, that's what it's about. That's what they're paying you for. And the more confident you can make your prospect, That you can solve their problem, that you are thinking about them, that you will not, in any circumstances, make them look bad. You can hit those three. And the better you hit those three, higher fees you can charge. Straight out. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, there's a cap. And the cap is set by the value of the problem you're solving. So solving a problem for one individual is likely to have less value than solving a problem for General Motors or Microsoft. So there's more money to be had if you're solving a bigger problem for a bigger company. But you don't have to work for global giants to bring in uh, very good consulting gigs or, or contracts. Uh, one, of, This is a new learning for me. This is something I've learned over the past five years or so, is that I can work with, with firms or companies that are only bring in um, seven figures or maybe low eight figures and win six-figure contracts. Mm-hmm. I used to think because my corporate business was all with big companies. But you don't have to work with big companies to win big business. What you need to do is solve valuable problems. And that will push your pricing up. Now, that's all a little bit vague. So um, do you want to drive it to a level that's more concrete? Or what would work best, do you think, for your, yeah, your listeners, me, Jonathan? We
0: can, we can drill into it. There's a specific thing I'd like to drill into, which is sure, which is this. You referred to sort of increasing your authority in the space, becoming a recognized expert, if you will, or if you want to use another term, but basically looking like the low risk option. What are what are the sort of strategies and tactics that someone can use to go from, you know, what looks like a risky option to what looks like a safe bet?
1: Yeah, that that, and again, a really insightful question, because, you know, how do you compete with Accenture? How do you compete with Deloitte? Mm -hmm. They've got big brand names. And the consultants who walk in with a card that's stamped with Deloitte or Accenture or PwC or EY, they have the the brand behind them, and that brand's worth a lot. So what do you do if you don't have that brand? Well, one thing, of course, is over time you establish the brand. That's a, uh, a sort of a long-term, <laughs> multiple years, if not decades, endeavor but you can establish a brand. What could you do in the short term? Well, there are quite a few things you can do in the short term. Uh, I'll, I'll give you just a handful of them. One, of course, is, is you do good work, right? So you can bring in case studies, you can bring in testimonials, you can bring in references from other people. But I'm gonna tell you something that you can do. I'll give you, you and your listeners a, a tactical tip. I don't know if it's in the book or, or not. It's something I call loopbacks. And basically, when you are in conversation with a prospect, they might ask you something, and rather than answering it right away, maybe they ask you, um, do, do you know how to solve this certain type of problem in, in, in JavaScript? Okay, And again, excuse me because I'm not a coder, even though both my sons are. I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> no, that either. was
0: good. Yeah, you nailed You You, yeah. you, you had be convinced, and then you blew it. <laughs> I was like, whoa, he okay. knows what JavaScript is.
1: <laughs> yeah, there you go. So uh, try something with JavaScript. Rather than saying, oh, yeah, 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 I can do that, what you might say is, um, you know what, that's a good question. If you don't mind, let's put that one to the side for just a moment and I'll get back to it in about five minutes. And because you were also talking about this other thing and you continue the conversation. And then five minutes later, you go back and say, now you asked about this question about JavaScript. So let me address that. Let me give you the answer to that now. Or they say, can you send me some, some materials? And you say, absolutely, I will get those to you tomorrow. And then you get them to you get those materials to them tomorrow. What you are doing in these cases is you are fulfilling a small promise because your prospects don't have any experience with you fulfilling large promises, no direct experience, unless they've been a client of yours before. Yeah, they have to rely on your ability and willingness and consistency in fulfilling small promises. Mm -hmm. And then they extrapolate from that. So you can build trust fairly quickly by living up to small promises and you can create the opportunity to live up to those promises by with these loopbacks by saying, hey, you know what, let me get back to that and then getting back to it.
0: That is great. I, I, I often talk about the small promises thing and do things like, uh, you know, just even on follow ups for, you know, you've got a long sales cycle happening to say, hey, if I don't hear from you by blah, I'll, I'll email you on date and then when you and then on date you say hey as promised following up about this thing you you know you wanted me to check back and see the status of the project so on and so forth and you know this is sort of in the nurture phase so if you've got one of these long sales cycles where the problem's not urgent but the client knows you're a good knows you're a good fit for something like when when they do pull the trigger you're definitely going to be in the running but you just want to keep in touch with them i i do it with email all the time and i tell i tell people to do it put a follow up date in the email and then when you follow up, say, as promised, following up.
1: And yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And of course, what I know you do and I do and, and hopefully many listeners do is if you are in conversation with a prospect, you do not hang up the phone if you've been in fo- on a phone conversation without actually setting that date in the calendar so that the email is, a, is more of a confirmation and they're receiving a calendar invite anyway, because you agreed with, you know, we'll talk in in six months. It's July right now. What do you say we talk? Oh, I don't know. How about December? Or what should we start to talk at the beginning of the year? Great. Pull out your calendar. How does the the second week in January look?
0: Exactly. Right. Yep. But no. See the the new tip though. The tip that I love that you gave was there are opportunities to create these. What did you call them? Loopbacks. Right.
1: Yeah. Loopbacks. These small promises. So you're gonna you're gonna create something, then you're gonna loop back to it later mm-hmm. and fulfill that promise.
0: Yeah. That's. I never thought about looking for them. I definitely, like when they show up, jump on them. But you, proactively doing it is a really good idea. Because it, you quickly, you'll see quickly that most people don't do this. So you suddenly, in a r- really short amount of time, you look way more professional than your clients do. Because they're busy, and I know we're all busy too, but if you do this one thing, you will come across like you're significantly more put together than most of the people that you're in contact with. And it shifts the power frame a little bit. You know, if you're familiar with, uh, sure. what's his name? Orin Claff, and his, uh, geez, I can't remember the name of the book. But his, he's got this concept about power frames. And he's kind of an aggressive alpha dog type of guy. It's not my favorite approach, but, <laughs> but, but I, I don't
1: to say that's not really my approach.
0: Yeah, I, it's not my favorite, but I don't think he's wrong where the 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 sort of social the 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 social weight or the social ball quickly comes into your court in a good way. So where, you know, they're they're starting to feel scattered, you're just doing what you said you were going to do and you do it when you say you're going to do it and it it becomes an attractive force. I think that, I think there's even in on top of the trust building aspect, I think there's another kind of attraction that happens there. It's almost like. um...
1: Oh, I think you're absolutely right. Setting dates in particular Mm -hmm. is which some people feel like, oh, but isn't that being pushy or not? Aren't I imposing on them? No, actually the exact opposite. What you're doing is you are offering your prospects some clarity Mm -hmm. on their calendar. In their calendars, their future is this murky, messy, ugly, scary thing hanging out there. (laughs) So when you offer clarity, you say, let's talk. The second week of January, let's talk that Tuesday at 10 a.m., it's locked in. It's clarity for them. They feel relief by having it on their calendar. The worst thing is not knowing when you're going to talk again. That's anxiety. People don't deal very well with ambiguity. Ambiguity causes stress. It causes anxiety. So putting something on the calendar, you're absolutely right. It actually creates a a lessening of the anxiety. It creates some clarity, and that makes you more attractive.
0: Absolutely, yeah. So... I wanted to drill into something that, that I know a lot of listeners can sort of rationally understand and perhaps even recognize in the brands or vendors or products and services that they use, but they have the worst time ever identifying when they're doing it wrong. So, okay, you know, it's just so hard to see the forest for the trees. You can't read the label from inside the bottle. It was in the section about common mistakes with your fishing line or what I would normally call your, your positioning statement. Okay. So there was one where you said we get rid of bugs is a solution versus we help homeowners whose kitchens are infested with roaches. And in, do you mean in that sentence or that phrase, do you mean that like the entire fishing line would be, we get rid of bugs No,
1: and 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 I don't recall that one exactly. (laughs) Fair enough. um, That that's right. But often what happens is, um, and I and I may be heading in the wrong wrong direction here, but it's more common to say, um, you know, to talk about the bugs as opposed to um, the homeowner and their situation. So the the issue actually isn't um, the the no one says um, I want an exterminator. What they say is, um, or, or they'll say that eventually. But how they get there is, <laughs> oh my God, this is so disgusting! I have roaches all over my kitchen.
0: Yes, <laughs> right. Well, so that's you the urg- want that's deal- the fishing where the fish are. That's the urgent. Right.
1: So, right. And, and it's the emotional challenge also. So you want to deal with the uh, w- with that e- emotional challenge also.
0: Okay. So all right. So let's. The thing that I'm getting at is the different difference between. Just using the desired future state versus the current state in the fishing line. And it it sounds like you Ah, prefer to say, you know, it's not that, you know, we help homeowners have a bug free house. It's very different than I mean, I mean, I mean, the listener, dear listener, I'm sure that when you heard kitchen infested with roaches you you might have even recoiled i mean it's a powerful visual and to to versus we help home, homeowners live a bug free life or whatever it's yeah. like yeah
1: so you're you're talking a little bit about aspirations versus problems mm-hmm. and you know should we target aspirations or should we target problems and and the answer is you can do either one right you can do either one and succeed the the aspirational version is we give you a clean house. We give you a bug-free house, right? So that's the aspiration. The, the problem version is um, we kill those disgusting roaches in your house. Mm-hmm. Okay, we solve the problem versus we give you an aspiration. And they're very close. They're subtly different. And there's actually some interesting... Uh, there, there's some interesting connections between that frame, whether it's a positive or a negative frame, and pricing. There's some interesting research I wrote about um, a couple of years ago, I think there's an article on my uh, website about that. But the, it, you can go either way. Consultants tend to want to be aspirational because it sounds better. It sounds nicer. What I can tell you is it's a, it's a um, longer sale to target aspirations. Targeting a problem is a faster sale because people want to solve their problems usually fairly desperately, fairly mm-hmm. urgently, whereas aspirations have less urgency and, they ha- and they're more discretionary. Mm-hmm. Now, on the other hand, aspirations, when you win them, can sometimes be larger projects. So from a coding world, if there's a bug in the software, or let's go back to Y2K if, for any of you who were alive back then. <laughs> probably <laughs> okay. not, probably I'm, I'm, not as many as I wish. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm dating myself here. But, you know, Y2K was, you know, clearly there was a problem. We have to fix the problem or our software will break. That was not aspirational. Mm-hmm. It was a problem. And there was huge urgency on that. There was desperation in some cases, right? And, and so, it, you know, back in those days, there was business galore for mm. folks who who solved those problems mm-hmm. and, and who are familiar with legacy systems the The aspiration at the time may have been you know what i would love is is a a um i't know we we're, we're talking back in the early nineties i I would love a graphical interface <laughs> <laughs> right? i, I don't, actually don 't know what things were were back then or what the aspirations were but the that getting that graphical interface, if that was an aspiration, is not nearly as uh it was not nearly as important and and urgent as getting the um the problem solved. And so the graphical interface may ultimately be a bigger win, but it's the Y2K problem at that time that got the money more immediately.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's that's funny because GDP that just happened with GDPR. Right. And I would
1: have been a better example.
0: <laughs> the but the the thing about that is that's those two specific examples, and there are other ones and it's also similar to uh, the Gartner hype curve and you know blockchain and augmented reality kind of trending at the very peak of inflated expectations they're all it's sort of globally ebbs and flows i mean like like in in two thousand and one like if all if your whole business was around solving y two k bugs, see you later. You know, that's done exactly. now. So that's, you know, that's that's a very different kind of problem than, say, you know, we help um, you know, people who manage apartment complexes get rid of roach infestations like that. That's a the kind of problem that's unfortunately almost surely recurrent or, or it's not like globally happens once and then it's done.
1: Yeah, though I'll tell you what, some of the most successful firms jump on those one and done Problems and then pivot off of them. Interesting, right? They create momentum and they pivot off of them. The it it is important, especially especially for your listeners, because your your listeners are focused on certain software platforms or Mm -hmm. software in general. It is very important to keep your your finger in the pulse of what's going on in the area you specialize um, in, and then uh, don't hang on too long Mm -hmm. because it evolves. One of one of my uh, clients uh, is a is an is actually a nice size firm. They're they're around 20 million dollars, but almost all of their business was built on a certain call center software platform and doing implementation and and that type of stuff. And unfortunately, the the market has moved on from that particular platform to another platform. And they've been hanging on desperately. And now what I've been doing is just beating them into submission to let go and move on to someplace else. So we're finding what that someplace else is. So your listeners do need to be very careful of hanging on to, to one spot. But if there's an urgent problem, there's nothing wrong with jumping on that, creating the connections, creating the relationships, and then nurturing those relationships and letting those people know that you've got broader capabilities. So narrow is your way in. Narrow gets you in the door. But once you're in there, you can spread out.
0: That is a really important point to emphasize because I know a lot of people miss it. I, I say it all the time, too. These sorts of things, this is the sign outside your Irish pub. You you know, you know don't have a list of all 200 beers on tap out on the sidewalk. You say cold corona inside because it's 150 degrees out. It's how, how hot it feels in Providence right now. And you want to get them in the door. Once you get them in the door, aka they become a customer, they become a client, then you don't need to you know carefully adhere to your your positioning statement, like this extremely narrow focus, because you're having conversations, you've built trust, you've delivered wins, people f- think you're smart, they know you, they like you. That's it's a completely different ballgame. Well, not completely different, but it's a very different ballgame. Once you're inside and you have contacts and you know the politics and all of the intricacies of working inside of a company, it's just completely different. So, Absolutely right. Yeah. So plus, this is. Plus,
1: yep. plus you, you know they must be reasonably accepting because they went into an Irish pub looking for a Corona, not a Guinness. So, <laughs> wow. They,
0: nice, savage so, burn. You,
1: you know, so, but, which is actually true <laughs> of clients, right? They, they will come to you and, and be open to you doing more. Once you've proven, you can deliver the the basic goods.
0: Yes. Excellent. Excellent point. Um, Okay. Could we, we, I could probably, uh, we could probably go all day and I would love to, but I know uh, we've both got other things coming up. Um, Where can people find out more about what you're doing and connect with you online?
1: The easiest place is just, is just jump on my website, which is davidafields.com. So just don't forget the middle initial, davidafields.com. Or you can always go onto Amazon or wherever you buy books and uh, look up guide to winning clients. It's um, often in the, the airport bookstores, too. Uh, for, I've been very fortunate. That book has done well. Um, and you just so uh, Google that and grab it or jump onto my website. And and I'm also pretty easy to grab.
0: Yes, I I second that motion. The the uh, The guide is it's really good. It's a fun writing style. The illustrations are very engaging and it's not dry at all, very practical, and I highly recommend it. Well, thank you. All right, well, thanks very much, David. Maybe we could do this again sometime.
1: That would be awesome. Jonathan, it's been, it's really, it's been a delight.
0: All right, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and hope to see you again on Ditching Hourly. Bye. If you'd like to learn more about how to ditch hourly billing, please go to valuepricingbootcamp.com to sign up for my free email course. Again, that URL is valuepricingbootcamp.com. Thanks. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call, you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com call. Hope to see you there.